I just wanted to share a little bit, pick up on some of the themes that we've been talking about, um, particularly last week. Um, so for those who weren't here, apologies if this feels a little uh, uh, hard to follow. But um, last week we were looking at Pentecost, as in the day of Pentecost, how it's described in Acts 2. And we were looking at um, particularly some of the Old Testament connections behind Luke's telling of, of, the, of what happened at that first Pentecost after Jesus' ascension. Um, and, you know, I was reflecting on it, and I think this is often probably true for everybody, is that um, the Old Testament is sort of a bit of a foreign country for us. It's, it's a strange place um, that we don't really know our way around as well, perhaps, as the New Testament. Um, and I think as a result, we've sort of learned to read the New Testament in a pretty, in a sort of a detached way, um, without a connection to the Old Testament. And I think even the, the language of old and new is partly to part of the problem really is that it's slightly unhelpful in that we equate Old Testament with outdated, um, defunct, um, and new with replacement or, um, you know, new and improved. Um, but perhaps the, it's better to think of Old Testament as a more like vintage, you know, um, more like fine wine, like, um, or uh, uh the Old Testament is the Elder Testament. It's the, it's the um, older um, in that sense, but it doesn't mean it's defunct. It's full of wisdom. It's full of experience. Um, there we are, some elders um, and some vintage things. <laughs> Good old slides. Um, so, yeah, the Old Testament helps us to come to grips with what's going on in the New Testament, and I think particularly helps us to come to grips with what's going on in the story of Pentecost in Acts 2. So I want to just keep going a little bit deeper on that theme. Um, so last week we explored Luke's description of the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, and we showed how he was kind of drawing together these two these two things. He was drawing together a, a picture of Babel, of, of this moment in the story of, in the Old Testament where God confuses the languages of the people to stop them from sort of plotting to... to take power into their own hands. Um, and Pentecost is a reversal of that. It's a kind of, it's, a, it's an inversion of that and that God come, descends and he um, gives mutual intelligence to, to the Christians so that they can hear each other proclaiming the wonders of God in all of these different languages. And we also looked at the connection to Mount Sinai and the giving of the covenant and sort of Moses' ascent up Mount Sinai matching um, with Jesus' ascent and the descent of Moses with the law and the descent of the Spirit and the formation of a new covenant people. So I, I made the suggestion that, yeah, this, uh, that this is um, more than, uh, the, yeah, the, this formation of a people, this, um, this gift of unity, of being able to hear each other um, in our different languages and in our different cultural and different, um, yeah, even life experience positions um, is, a, is a signature of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-off thing that just happened way back then, but it's sort of a, it's a hallmark of what, what happens when the Holy Spirit is alive and well in our church. Um, so because so much of our life is talking past each other, so much of our life is trying to convert somebody else to our way of thinking, um, even in very close relationships, there can really be great deep gulfs of misunderstanding um, but whenever and wherever the Spirit is working, um, the Spirit brings unity. The Spirit brings unity, but not uniformity. So similar uh, at Mount Sinai, 
Uh, God adopts this ragtag group of Hebrew slaves who don't have their own identity. They've been completely um, dis- disabused of their, um, uh, their identity as a people. Uh, God takes this people and he names them as his treasured possession. Um, he forms them as a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And at that first ascension, uh, post-ascension Pentecost moment in Acts 2, the same thing happens. The Holy Spirit descends on this group of ragtag people and um, marks them with his presence and forms them into a people who carry the name of God. So, yeah, um, and it's exactly the same today. So this is an ongoing work of the Spirit. He brings us together to declare the wonders uh, of God in a multitude of lives. And he empowers us to be, um, there we go, to, empowers us to be um, a people who carry, who carry his name. So this morning I want to talk a little bit more about this. And I want to talk specifically, and I won't go too long because um, it's been a really full morning already, um, just about these three Old Testament feasts that I think when we have them in the back of our mind, they help us to interpret Pentecost, which is today, Pentecost Sunday. Um, they help us to interpret with a deeper significance of what all of this means. So the first um, the first festival, and um, Paul might need some help with the, with the Hebrew, but um, is Hag Hashavut, or the Festival of Weeks, close enough. Um, so this, fe- this Festival of Weeks was... Um, was a festival that was celebrated in accordance with these instructions in Leviticus, chapter 23, verse 15. It says, From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, um, which is a little bit of um, wheat that, that the Israelites would wave up in the air and say, Thank you, God. Um, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath. And then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves made of two-tenths of an ephah of the finest flour, baked with yeast as a wave offering um, to offer the first fruits to the Lord. So wave your loaf of bread in the air. Um, probably not really good too. So this chronological reference here is where the, where the Pentecost sort of time, um, yeah, chronology comes from. Um, it specifies the amount of time between Passover and Pentecost, and it also it specifies the cycle of the harvest in this agrarian society, so the harvest of the wheat crops and the barley crops. So the Bible, the Old Testament, is written to an agrarian people, a rural agrarian people, who lived by the natural seasons of things. And, um, and it's, as it says in this passage in Leviticus, um, immediately... Uh, after the Passover festival, which would have been our, which is our Easter Sunday, so Passover is this great holiday in the Jewish tradition. So immediately after that was this, um, the Israelites were instructed to wave a sheaf of their barley harvest, so the first harvest from their barley crop, um, as an act of worship and a sort of way of acknowledging before God, thank you for for your provision, thank you for looking after me. Um, and they would then count off fifty days, which um, by which time. Um, their wheat crops were maturing. And so this period of waiting between the harvest encompasses the celebration of Pentecost. We're not really agrarian people, so we don't think maybe in these ways, but it's really significant, as we'll see. So um, often the, the focus, we focus on the day of Pentecost as the kind of the moment, you know. 
but we forget that there's this great there's this fifty day period that that God instructs the Israelites to keep. Um, and thinking about that, sort of fifty days of anticipation, fifty days of of looking forward to, fifty days of waiting, um, is I think a good design. Um, it's designed to bring the Israelites' attention back to God as their provider. You know, they're looking forward to God as the one who will provide for them. And something is transformed in us in this waiting process. Um, I can speak from experience because this year we planted a little mandarin tree. It's about, you know, this high. Uh, and this is not a photo of it. Uh, it's a photo from the internet. But uh, we planted a little mandarin tree and it just sits outside my outside the window where I sit and work, you know, out, outside the study. Um, and there's only like maybe three little green, tiny little green mandarins growing on this tree. But uh, my son Francis loves mandarins, and um, so he was very excited about it. And, um, and so I've really enjoyed watching this little tree. Um, you know, just it's, it's in my eyesight. I see it a lot. Um, I've enjoyed watching this little, these little green fruits slowly become orange. Um, and one day Francis came bursting into the, my office with the mandarin in his hand and was like, it's ripe, you know, we can eat it now. Um, so we shared it together and it was the sweetest mandarin. It was, it was this mandarin that was full of the uh, fulfillment of promise. You know, it was this mandarin that was like, oh, we've been watching this thing and here it is, it's arrived, you know. Um, so this waiting process uh, that, that made the mandarin uh, this priceless gift, you know, I don't know what I would have paid for this mandarin, but more than what I would pay at Countdown. Um, this waiting process brought something into this mandarin um, and it's sort of sanctified the time of the formation of this fruit between planting and harvesting. And I imagine that, you know, if you lived in an agrarian society, that would be, imagine that on a whole society scale, like the sense of anticipation for the harvest, the excitement for the harvest, everybody gearing up for the harvest, and then it's finally here. So I think that's a powerful metaphor to hold in the back of our minds when we think about Pentecost. There's this sense that, that God does something with our waiting. Um, there's something being formed in us like that fruit. Jesus told his disciples to wait for the gift that his father promised. So we don't have to wait in the same way. We're not, we're not living in the, in the pre-sending of the Spirit. The Spirit has been sent. Um, but we, you know, we do, I think, um, wait still. We wait for, for all kinds of things. We wait for God's promises to be formed in us. We wait for fulfillment. You know, we live with promise and fulfillment and tension. So I think Pentecost offers us this chance to sanctify time, to, to think about time in that way and to rediscover this joy of waiting on the promises of God. So that's the first Old Testament feast. Um, the second Old Testament feast is the Feast of the First Fruits, or Hag Habikurim, maybe? In the book of Numbers, chapter 28, this, this uh, festival is detailed in the following way. On the day of the first fruits, when you offer a grain offering of new grain to the Lord, at your festival of weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not work at your occupations. Have a day off. Um, so as the name suggests, um, the, the festival of the first fruits was about giving God the first fruit from the crop, the first pick. Um, or it was literally the first thing which was born. Uh, uh, so the first lamb that was born to the, to the first, the first time a, a, a ewe gave birth, that was the first fruit, um, the, the um, or even with people, the first, the first child that was born um, in a family. 
the first pick of the crop to, to offer it to God. Not talking about child sacrifice. I'm talking about like, thank you, God, you know. Um, so that, that tradition um, later mandated, uh, as time went by, that, that the first fruits would be from these certain crops called the seven species. So they were the seven products that are grown in Israel, the, the wheat, the barley, the grapes, the figs, the pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. Who's hungry? <laughs> that sounds good. Um, so honoring and obeying this, this command to, to give the first fruits came with this the sense of blessing uh, and a promise even um, of overfilling barns, vats, and new wine. So um, honoring God with the first fruits of, of our crops. So what does this mean for us? I think it would be easy to make a new rule here. You know, you need to do this now. Every time you get a new paycheck, you need to give this much away. Um, or the first Mandarin, you always have to give that to God, or the first day of the week, or whatever it may be. Now, that may be, that may be good. Maybe God's asking that. But I think there's more to it than that. I think for Christians, there's something much more profound um, than this you know, healthy practice of giving an, um, an offering back to God of the first he's given us. So an early Christian church leader called Cyril of Alexandria suggested that the Old Testament practice of offering the sheaves uh, and first fruits ought to be interpreted for Christians um, through the lens of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. So Cyril writes that... Um, of this, uh, this idea, he says, then contemplate the first fruits of renewed humanity. That is to say, Christ himself, in the figure of the sheaf, and in the first fruits of the field, and in the first years of grain, offered in holy oblation to God the Father. So he's saying, consider Christ as the first fruits. He's the offering. Um, Paul, you know, makes a, the exact same association in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. He calls Jesus the first fruits of those who have died, picking up on that exact metaphor. So in the case of Jesus, he is the, he's the son who uh, offers his sacrificial life to the Father. And that's the ultimate fruit. That's the ultimate waving of the sheaf before the, before the Father is, is Christ himself, his, his life offered. Um, and I think we too are called to do the same. We're called to be, it's not just about giving away the first bite of the cherry, but it's about actually saying, our whole life is, is this offering to God. Um, as we are in Christ, we offer our whole life and our whole collective life as a people to God, as a gift back to him. Um, it's also, I think, a recognition that God's uh, renewing presence in our life, his work within our life, is, is not something we earned. It's just a gift. It's just a gift that he's given us. And we can just give it back. You know, He's given it to us to give back to him this this full life, you know. Um, so yeah, it might be your money, it might be your time, it might be your mandarins, but I think it's more than that. It's the whole, it's your whole life. Um, so then the third and final great Old Testament feast uh, associated with Pentecost is the Feast of the Harvest, or the Festival of the Harvest, uh, also called Hag, Hakkitsur. Uh, <laughs> That's hard. Uh, this is described in Exodus 23, verse 16. You shall observe the festival of the harvest of the first fruits of your labor and what you sow in the field. So, as I mentioned um, a bit earlier, Pentecost celebrated this time between the harvest, the time between the barley and the wheat harvest, um, the beginning of the wheat harvest and the end of the barley harvest. So both crops were planted at the same time, but they grow at different rates. So the they're both planted in autumn, but the barley ripened first. So um, 
so this is when they would wave the first sheaf and then they would wave the second sheaf. Um, and I was thinking about it, you know, that feeling of when you've finished a job, like a hard job, um, a job that you're satisfied, um, that great feeling you get when it's completed or when um, exams are over, um, when you've, you know, you've worked hard and, and you do the last one, there's a great sense of relief and satisfaction that comes. Um, that knowing that it's behind you, um, or I used to be a house painter, so peeling off the last bit of masking tape around the windows and dusting off the sh uh, sills and vacuuming and standing back for a couple of minutes and just looking and thinking, yeah, it's looking a lot better in here. That, that sort of feeling um, of satisfaction, um, I think that is what the Harvest Festival would have been like on a grand scale. This whole society goes, look at what we've done. Look at our... Look at this amazing thing we've achieved together. Um, look at the abundance that God has given us. Um, look at how much better things are. So, um, yeah, in the in the Gospels, Jesus refers to refers to the harvest at this time in Matthew nine. Uh, he refers to this harvest moment when he observes the great crowds of people um, who are swirling all around him, wanting wanting to be with him. Um, perhaps wanting to hear his teaching or wanting to receive a miracle, wanting to be healed. Uh, Matthew writes, when, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. It's kind of perplexing, don't you think, that Jesus says this in the presence of his disciples. Like, He tells them to ask the Lord to send out the workers. Why doesn't he just say, go and, you know, go and do the work? You know, He says, he says um, yeah, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. So why, why didn't he say, you are the workers, you are the harvesters, go and make the harvest? I think it's because... It's because this thing of waiting, it's this thing that actually Jesus recognized that they needed to be empowered for this ministry. They needed to wait. So um, the harvest had to wait to be ripe, um, and the disciples had to wait to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So this is not the case for us. This is not the case for us. We don't live on the on the other side of Acts. We live, we live with... The Holy Spirit being poured out among us. He's already here, like we've said, like we've been talking about for weeks. We all have uh, received the Holy Spirit, um, whether we've received it in a way that's tangible or not. When we, when we say yes to God, we receive the Holy Spirit. We belong to the church. We're baptized into this church. And so we have received the Spirit for empowerment, for mission. It's not necessarily something we have to wait for till we feel like it's time. It's actually now. Um, the Spirit is, is sufficient now. But the Spirit wants to empower us even more. It's this tension, I guess, of saying, we don't need to wait. We can try now. Um, but at the same time, we can say, Lord, um, would, you, would you fill me again for this work to be, to be sent out again? So Emilio Alvarez, uh, who I've been reading on this whole topic, um, who I've got lots of ideas from, um, 
writes on this connection and he suggests that we ought not to think of two sending narratives in the Christian story. So we would think the Son is sent first and then the Spirit is sent second. But he says there's three sendings. The first, the Son, the second, the Spirit, and then the third is us. We're sent into the world. We're sent and we're empowered um, to be witnesses, to, to do the work of, of, that Jesus did, to carry on the work that he was doing. So, yeah, that's, that's the message. That's all I have to say in the sense um, just to, that we would not forget that we are empowered, that we, um, we're empowered to do this work. And the work is, is out there. Um, you know, we, we live in a city that, that needs this. Um, we need in a world that needs good news. So why don't we stand um, and let's, let's again, like we do all the time, we just say, Lord, I, I, I just I want more of you. And it's not about saying, I need some kind of buzz and then I'll finally believe, and then I'll finally get to work. It's saying, Lord, I'm about to go go with me. Almost like the story, um, I can't remember the address, but when Joshua and his armor bearer are hiding behind a rock and the Philistines are there and, and then they, and, and Jonathan says something like, let's go up and, and, and maybe, the, maybe God will come with us. <laughs> you know, like, let's go see if we can do something. I think that sense of, hey, maybe we should just try. Maybe we should just try and see if God would be with us. So Lord, Holy Spirit, it's Pentecost. It's Pentecost Sunday and we we acknowledge that um, that you have come and that you you are with us. And Lord, Holy Spirit, you want to empower your people. Lord, Holy Spirit, the harvest is ripe. Lord. Um, and I pray that you would, yeah, that you would refresh us, Lord, as a people. Come, Holy Spirit, would you refresh us? that we would not feel weary and burdened by this, um, but, Lord, that we would feel sent by you into the world. Lord, we, we wait, and we, we wait with a sense of obedience, but also a sense of anticipation of what you're doing. I thank you for even just for Bjorn's story, even though it's pretty exceptional work, um, all of our ordinary work, Lord. You send us. So come, Lord, and, and fill your people again.